CD4 Oh, said the apparition. Uncommon sense, which, despite Granny Weatherworks's general belief that McGrath was several sticks short of a bundle, she still had insufficiency, pointed out that few demons tinkled pathetically and appeared to be quite so breathless. Hello, she said. The fool's mind was also working hard. He was beginning to panic. McGrath shunned the traditional pointed hat, as worn by the older witches, but she still held on to one of the most fundamental rules of witchcraft. It's not much use being a witch unless you look like one. In her case, this meant lots of silver jewellery with octograms, bats, spiders, dragons and other symbols of everyday mysticism. McGrath would have painted her fingernails black, except that she didn't think she would be able to face Granny's withering scorn. It was dawning on the fool that he had surprised a witch. Oops, he said, and turned to run for it. Don't, McGrath began, but the fool was already pounding down the forest path that led back to the castle. McGrath stood and stared at the wilting posy in her hands. She ran her fingers through her hair, and a shower of wilted petals fell out. She felt that an important moment had been allowed to slip out of her grasp as fast as a greased pig in a narrow passageway. She felt an overpowering urge to curse. She knew a great many curses. Goody Wemper had been really imaginative in that department. Even the creatures of the forest used to go past her cottage at a dead run. She couldn't find a single one that fully expressed her feelings. Oh, bugger, she said. It was a full moon again that night, and most unusually, all three witches arrived at the Standing Stone early. It was so embarrassed by this, it went and hid in some gorse bushes. Grebo hasn't been home for two days, said Nanny Og as soon as she arrived. It's not like him. I can't find him anywhere. Cats can look after themselves, said Granny Weatherwax. Countries can't. I have intelligence to report. Light the fire, Magrat. Hmm? I said light the fire, Magrat. Hmm? Oh, yes. The two old women watched her drift vaguely across the moorland, tugging absently at dried-up wind clumps. McGrath seemed to have her mind on something. Doesn't seem to be her normal self, said Nanny Og. Yes, could be an improvement, said Granny shortly, and sat down on a rock. She should have got it lit before we arrived, it's her job. She means well, said Nanny Og studying McGrath's back reflectively. I used to mean well when I was a girl, but that didn't stop the sharp end of Goody Filter's tongue. Youngest witch serves her time, you know how it is. We had it tougher, too. Look at her. Doesn't even wear a pointy hat. How's anyone going to know? You got something on your mind, Esme, said Nanny. Granny nodded gloomily. Had a visit yesterday she said. Me too. Despite her worries, Granny was slightly annoyed at this. Who from? she said. The mayor of Lancre and a bunch of burghers. They're not happy about the king. They want a king they can trust. I wouldn't trust any king a burger could trust, said Granny. 
Yes, but it's not good for anyone, all this taxing and killing folk. That new sergeant they've got is a keen man when it comes to setting fire to cottages, too. Old Varence used to do it, too, mind, but, well... I know, I know. It was more personal, said Granny. You felt he meant it. People like to feel they're valued. This Felmet hates the kingdom, Nanny went on. They all say it. They say when they go to talk to him, he just stares at them and giggles and rubs his hand and twitches a bit. Granny scratched her chin. The old king used to shout at them and kick them out of the castle, mind. He used to say he didn't have no time for shopkeepers and such, she added with a note of personal approval. But he was always very gracious about it, said Nanny Og, and he... The kingdom is worried, said Granny. Yes, I already said. I didn't mean the people, I meant the kingdom. Granny explained. Nanny interrupted a few times with brief questions. It didn't occur to her to doubt anything she heard. Granny Weatherwax never made things up. At the end of it, she said, Well, my feelings exactly. Fancy that. Quite so. And what did the animals do then? Went away. It had brought them here. It let them go. No one ate anyone else? Not where I saw. Funny thing. Right enough. Nanny Og stared at the setting sun. I don't reckon a lot of kingdoms do that sort of thing, she said. You saw the theatre. Kings and such are killing one another the whole time. Their kingdoms just make the best of it. How come this one takes offence all of a sudden? It's been here a long time, said Granny. So's everywhere, said Nanny, and added, with the air of a lifetime student, Everywhere's been where it is ever since it was first put there. It's called geography. That's just about land, said Granny. It's not the same as a kingdom. A kingdom is made up of all sorts of things. Ideas, loyalties, memories. It all sort of exists together. And then all these things create some kind of life. Not a body kind of life, more like a living idea made up of everything that's alive and what they're thinking and what the people before them thought. McGrath reappeared and began to lay the fire with an air of one in a trance. I can see you've been thinking about this a lot, said Nanny, speaking very slowly and carefully. And this kingdom wants a better king. Is that it? No. That is, yes, look, she leaned forward. It doesn't have the same kind of likes and dislikes as people, right? Nanny Og leaned back. Well, it wouldn't, would it? She ventured. It doesn't care if people are good or bad. I don't think it could even tell, any more than you could tell if an ant was a good ant. But it expects the king to care for it. Yes, but, said Nanny wretchedly, 
she was becoming a bit afraid of the gleam in Granny's eye. Lots of people have killed each other to become King of Lancre. They've done all kinds of murder. Don't matter! Don't matter! said Granny, waving her arms. She started counting on her fingers. For why? she said. One, kings go around killing each other because it's all part of destiny and such, and doesn't count as murder. And two, they killed for the kingdom. That's the important bit. But this new man just wants the power. He hates the kingdom. It's a bit like a dog, really, said Magrat. Granny looked at her with her mouth open to frame some suitable retort, and then her face softened. Very much like, she said. A dog doesn't care if its master's good or bad, just so long as it likes the dog. Well, then, said Nanny. No one and nothing likes Felmut. What are we going to do about it? Nothing. You know we can't meddle. You saved that baby, said Nanny. That's not meddling. Have it your way, said Nanny. But maybe one day he'll come back. Destiny again. And you said we should hide the crown. It'll all come back, mark my words. Hurry up with that tea, Magrat. What are you going to do about the burgers? said Granny. I told them they'll have to sort it out themselves. Once we use magic, I said it'd never stop. You know that. Right, said Granny, but there was a hint of wistfulness in her voice. I'll tell you this, though, said Nanny. They didn't like it much. They was muttering when they left. Magrat blurted out, You know the fool who lives up at the castle? Little man with runny eyes, said Nanny, relieved that the conversation had turned to more normal matters. Not that little, said Magrat. What's his name? Do you happen to know? Just called fool, said Granny. No job for a man, that, running around with bells on. His mother was a bell dam from over Blacklass way, said Nanny Og, whose knowledge of the genealogy of Lonkra was legendary. Bit of a beauty when she was younger. Broke many a heart, she did. Bit of a scandal there, I did hear. Granny's right, though. At the end of the day, a fool's a fool. Why do you want to know, Magrat? said Granny Weatherwax. Oh, one of the girls in the village was asking me, said Magrat, crimson to the ears. Nanny cleared her throat and grinned at Granny Weatherwax, who sniffed aloofly. It's a steady job, said Nanny. I'll grant you that. Ha, huh, said Granny. A man who tinkles all day. No kind of a husband for anyone, I'd say. You... She'd always know where he was, said Nanny, who was enjoying this. You'd just have to listen. Never trust a man with horns on his hat, said Granny flatly. Magrat stood up and pulled herself together, giving the impression that some bits had to come quite a long way. You're a pair of silly old women, she said quietly, and I'm going home. She marched off down the path to her village without another word. The old witches stared at one another. Well, said Nanny. It's all these books they read today, said Granny. It overheats the brain. You haven't been putting ideas in her head, have you?
What do you mean? You know what I mean. Nanny stood up. I certainly don't see why a girl should have to be single her whole life just because you think it's the right thing, she said. Anyway, if people didn't have children, where would we be? None of your girls is a witch, said Granny, also standing up. They could have been, said Nanny defensively. Yes, if you'd let them work it out for themselves, instead of encouraging them to throw themselves at men. They're good-looking. You can't stand in the way of human nature. You'd know that if you'd ever... If I'd ever what? said Granny Weatherwax quietly. They stared at one another in shocked silence. They could both feel it, the tension creeping into their bodies from the ground itself, the hot, aching feeling that they'd started something they must finish no matter what. I knew you when you were a gal, said Nanny sullenly. Stuck up, you were. At least I spent most of the time upright, said Granny. Disgusting, that was. Everyone thought so. How would you know? snapped Nanny. You were the talk of the whole village, said Granny. And you were too. They called you the Ice Maiden. Never knew that, did you? sneered Nanny. I wouldn't sully my lips by saying what they call you, shouted Granny. Oh, yes, shrieked Nanny. Well, let me tell you, my good woman. Don't you dare talk to me in that tone of voice. I'm not anyone's good woman. Right. There was another silence while they stared at one another, nose to nose, but this silence was a whole quantum level of animosity higher than the last one. You could have roasted a turkey in the heat of this silence. There was no more shouting. Things had got too bad for shouting. Now the voices came in low and full of menace. I should have known better than to listen to my grat, growled Nanny. This coven business is ridiculous. It attracts entirely the wrong sort of people. I'm very glad we had this little talk, hissed Nanny Og. Cleared the air. She looked down. And you're in my territory, madam. Madam? Thunder rolled in the distance. The permanent Lancre storm, after a trip through the foothills, had drifted back towards the mountain for a one-night stand. The last rays of sunset shone livid through the clouds, and fat drops of water began to thud on the witch's pointed hats. I really don't have time for all this, snapped Granny, trembling. I have far more important things to do. And me, said Nanny. Good night to you. And you. They turned their backs on one another and strode away into the downpour. The midnight rain drummed on McGrath's curtained windows as she thumbed her way purposefully through Goody Wemper's books of what, for want of any better word, could be called natural magic. The old woman had been a great collector of such things, and most unusually had written them down. Witches didn't normally have much use for literacy, but book after book was filled with tiny, meticulous handwriting, detailing the results of patient experiments in applied magic. Goody Wemper had, in fact, been a research witch. Someone has to do it. It's all very well calling for eye of newt, but do you mean common, spotted, or great-crested? Which eye, anyway? 
Will tabioca do just as well? If we substitute egg white, will the spell A work, B fail, or C melt the bottom out of the cauldron? Goody Wemper's curiosity about such things was huge and insatiable. Nearly insatiable. It was probably satiated in her last flight to test whether a broomstick could survive having its bristles pulled out one by one in midair. According to the small black raven, she had trained as a flight recorder, the answer was almost certainly no. McGrath was looking up love spells. Every time she shut her eyes, she saw a red and yellow figure on the darkness inside. Something had to be done about it. She shut the book with a snap and looked at her notes. First, she had to find out his name. The old peel-the-apple trick should do that. You just peeled an apple, getting one length of the peel and threw the peel behind you. It had land in the shape of his name. Millions of girls had tried it and had inevitably been disappointed. Unless the loved one was called... That was because they hadn't used an unripe sunset wonder picked three minutes before noon on the first frosty day in the autumn and peeled left-handedly using a silver knife with a blade less than half an inch wide. Goody had done a lot of experimenting and was quite explicit on the subject. McGrath always kept a few by for emergencies, and this was probably one. She took a deep breath and threw the peel over her shoulder. She turned slowly. I'm a witch, she told herself. This is just another spell. There's nothing to be frightened of. Get a grip of yourself, girl. Woman. She looked down and bit the back of her hand out of nervousness and embarrassment. Who'd have thought it? She said aloud. It had worked. She turned back to her notes, her heart fluttering. What was next? Ah, yes. Gathering fern seed in a silk handkerchief at dawn. Goody Wemper's tiny handwriting went on for two pages of detailed botanical instructions which, if carefully followed, resulted in the kind of love potion that had to be kept in a tightly stoppered jar at the bottom of a bucket of iced water. McGrath pulled open her back door. The thunder had passed, but now the first grey light of the new day was drowned in a steady drizzle. But it still qualified as dawn, and McGrath was determined. Brambles tugging at her dress her hair plastered against her head by the rain, she set out into the dripping forest. The trees shook, even without a breeze. Nanny Og was also out early. She hadn't been able to get any sleep anyway, and besides, she was worried about Grebo. Grebo was one of her few blind spots. While intellectually she would concede that he was indeed a fat, cunning, evil-smelling multiple rapist, she nevertheless instinctively pictured him as the small, fluffy kitten he had been decades before. The fact that he had once chased a female wolf up a tree and seriously surprised a she-bear who had been innocently digging for roots didn't stop her worrying that something bad might happen to him. It was generally considered by everyone else in the kingdom that the only thing that might slow Grebo down was a direct meteorite strike. Now she was using a bit of elementary magic to follow his trail, although anyone with a sense of smell could have managed it. It had led her through the damp streets to the open gates of the castle. She gave the guards a nod as she went through. 
it didn't occur to either of them to stop her because witches, like beekeepers and big gorillas, went where they liked. In any case, an elderly lady banging a bowl with a spoon was probably not the spearhead of an invasion force. Life as a castle guard in Loncra was extremely boring. One of them, leaning on his spear as Nanny went past, wished there could be some excitement in his job. He will shortly learn the error of his ways. The other guard pulled himself together and saluted. Morning, Mum. Morning, our Sean, said Nanny, and sat off across the inner courtyard. Like all witches, Nanny Og had an aversion to front doors. She went round the back and entered the keep via the kitchens. A couple of maids curtsied to her. So did the head housekeeper, whom Nanny Og vaguely recognised as a daughter-in-law, although she couldn't remember her name. And so it was, when Lord Felmet came out of his bedroom, he saw, coming along the passage towards him, a witch. There was no doubt about it. From the tip of her pointed hat to her boots, she was a witch, and she was coming for him. Magrat slid helplessly down a bank. She was soaked to the skin and covered in mud. Somehow, she thought bitterly, when you read these spells, you always think of it being a fine sunny morning in late spring and she had forgotten to check what bloody kind of bloody fern it bloody was. A tree tipped a load of raindrops onto her. McGrath pushed her sodden hair out of her eyes and sat down heavily on a fallen log, from which grew great clusters of pale and embarrassing fungus. It had seemed such a lovely idea. She'd had great hopes of the coven. She was sure it wasn't right to be a witch alone, you could get funny ideas. She dreamed of wise discussions of natural energies while a huge moon hung in the sky, and then possibly they'd try a few of the old dances described in some of Goody Wimper's books. Not actually naked, or sky-clad, as it was rather delightfully called, because McGrath had no illusions about the shape of her own body, and the older witches seemed solid across the hems. And anyway, that wasn't absolutely necessary. The book said that the old-time witches had sometimes danced in their shifts. McGrath had wondered about how you danced in shifts. Perhaps there wasn't room for them all to dance at once, she thought. What she hadn't expected was a couple of crotchety old women who were barely civil at the best of times and simply didn't enter into the spirit of things. Oh, they'd been kind to the baby in their own way, but she couldn't help feeling that if a witch was kind to someone... It was entirely for deeply selfish reasons. And when they did magic, they made it look as ordinary as housekeeping. They didn't wear any occult jewellery. McGrath was a great believer in occult jewellery. It was all going wrong and she was going home. She stood up, wrapped her damp dress around her and set off through the misty woods. And heard running feet. Someone was coming through them at high speed, without caring who heard him, and over the top of the sound of breaking twigs was a curious dull jingling. McGrath sidled behind a dripping holly bush and peered cautiously through the leaves. It was Sean, the youngest of Nanny Og's sons, and the metal noise was caused by his suit of chainmail, which was several sizes too big for him. Lancre is a poor kingdom, and over the centuries the chainmail of the palace guards has had to be handed down from one generation to another often at the end of a long stick. This one made him look like a bulletproof bloodhound. 
she stepped out in front of him. Is that you, Miss McGrath? said Sean, raising the flap of the mail that covered his eyes. It's ma'am. What's happened to her? He's locked her up. Said she was coming to poison him, and I can't get down to the dungeons to see, because there's all new guards. They say she's been put in chains, Sean frowned, and that means something horrible's going to happen. You know what she's like when she loses her temper. We'll never hear the last of it, miss. Where were you going? demanded McGrath. To fetch our Jason and our Wayne and our Darren and our... Wait a moment. Oh, Miss McGrath, suppose they try to torture her. You know what a tongue she's got on her when she gets angry. I'm thinking, said McGrath. He's put his own bodyguards on the gates and everything. Look, just shut up a minute, will you, Sean? When our Jason finds out, he's going to give the Duke a real scene too, Miss. He said it's about time someone did. Nanny Og's Jason was a young man with the build, and McGrath had always thought, the brains of a herd of oxen. Thick-skinned though he was, she doubted whether he could survive a hail of arrows. Don't tell him yet, she said thoughtfully. There could be another way. I'll go and find Granny Weatherwax, shall I, Miss? said Sean, hopping from one leg to another. She'll know what to do. She's a witch. McGrath stood absolutely still. She had thought she was angry before, but now she was furious. She was wet and cold and hungry, and this person... Once upon a time, she heard herself thinking she would have burst into tears at this point. Oops, said Sean. Um, I didn't mean... Whoops. <laughs> um... He backed away. If you happen to see Granny Weatherwax, said McGrath, slowly, in tones that should have etched her words into glass. You can tell her that I will sort it all out. Now go away before I turn you into a frog. You look like one anyway. She turned, hitched up her skirts, and ran like hell towards her cottage. Lord Felmet was one of nature's gloaters. He was good at it. Quite comfortable, aren't we? he said. Nanny Og considered this. Apart from these stocks, you mean? She said. I am impervious to your foul blandishments, said the Duke. I scorn your devious wiles. You are to be tortured, I'll have you know. This didn't appear to have the required effect. Nanny was staring around the dungeon with the vaguely interested gaze of a sightseer. And then you will be burned, said the Duchess. Okay, said Nanny. Okay? Well, it's bloody freezing down here. What's that big wardrobe thing with the spikes? The Duke was trembling. Aha, he said. Now you realise, eh? That, my dear lady, is an iron maiden. It's the latest thing. Well, may you... Can I have a go in it? Your pleas fall on death. The Duke's voice trailed off. His twitch started up. The Duchess leaned forward until her big red face was inches away from Nanny's nose. This insouciance gives you pleasure, she hissed. 
but soon you will laugh on the other side of your face. It's only got this side, said Nanny. The Duchess fingered a tray of implements lovingly. We shall see, she said, picking up a pair of pliers. And you need not think that others of your people will come to your aid, said the Duke, who was sweating despite the chill. We alone hold the keys to this dungeon. Ha ha! You will be an example to those who have been spreading malicious rumours about me. Do not protest your innocence. I hear the voices all the time, lying. The Duchess gripped him ferociously by the arm. Enough! she rasped. Come, Lionel. We will let her reflect on her fate for a while. The faces, wicked lies. I wasn't there, and anyway, he fell. My porridge, all salty, murmured the Duke, swaying. The door slammed behind them. There was a click of locks and a thudding of bolts. Nanny was left alone in the gloom. A flickering torch high on the wall only made the surrounding darkness more forbidding. Strange metal shapes, designed for no more exalted purpose than the destruct testing of the human body, cast unpleasant shadows. Nanny Og stirred in her chains. All right, she said. I can see you. Who are you? King Varence stepped forward. I saw you making faces behind him, said Nanny Og. All I could do to keep a straight face myself. I wasn't making faces, woman. I was scowling. Nanny squinted. Here, I know you, she said. You're dead. I prefer the term passed over, said the king. I'd bow, which is never curtsy said Nanny. Only, there's all these chains and things. You haven't seen a cat around here, have you? Yes, he's in a room upstairs, asleep. Nanny appeared to relax. That's all right then, she said. I was beginning to worry. She stared around the dungeon again. What's that big bed thing over there? The rack, said the king, and explained its use. Nanny Og nodded. What a busy little mind he's got, she said. I fear, madam, that I may be responsible for your present predicament, said Varence, sitting down on, or at least just above, a handy anvil. I wished to attract a witch. I suppose you're no good at locks. I fear that would be beyond my capabilities as yet, but surely... The ghost of the king waved a hand in a vague gesture which encompassed the dungeon, Nanny and the manacles. To a witch, all this is just so much... Solid iron, said Nanny. You might be able to walk through it, but I can't. I didn't realise, said Varence. I thought witches could do magic. Young man, said Nanny. 
You will oblige me by shutting up. Madam, I am a king. You are also dead, so I wouldn't aspire to hold any opinions if I was you. Now just be quiet and wait like a good boy. Against all his instincts, the king found himself obeying. There was no gainsaying that tone of voice. It spoke to him across the years, from his days in the nursery. Its echoes told him that if he didn't eat it all up, he would be sent straight to bed. Nanny Og stirred in her chains. She hoped they would turn up soon. Uh, said the king uneasily. I feel I owe you an explanation. Thank you, said Granny Weatherwax, and because Sean seemed to be expecting it, added, You've been a good boy. Yes, m'am, said Sean. M'am, was there something else? Sean twisted the end of his chainmail vest out of embarrassment. It's not true what everyone's been saying about our ma'am, is it, m'am? He said. She doesn't go around putting evil curses on folk, except for Davis as the butcher an old cake bread after he kicked her cat. But they wasn't what you'd call real curses, was they, Mum? You can stop calling me Mum. Yes, Mum. They've been saying that, have they? Yes, Mum. Well, your ma'am does upset people sometimes. Sean hopped from one leg to another. Yes, Mum, but they say terrible things about you, Mum, saving your present, Mum. Granny stiffened. What? Things. Don't like to say, Mum. What things? Sean considered his next move. There weren't many choices. A lot of things what aren't true, Mum, he said, establishing his credentials as early as possible. All sorts of things, like old Varence was a bad king and you'd helped him on the throne, and you caused that bad winter the other year, and old Norbert's cow didn't. Give no milk after you looked at it. Lots of lies, Mum, he added loyally. Right, said Granny. She shut the door in his panting face, stood in thought for a moment, and retired to her rocking chair. Eventually, she said once more, Right. A little later, she added, She's a daft old bism. But we can't have people going around doing things to witches. Once you've lost your respect, you ain't got a thing. I don't remember looking at old Norbert's cow. Who's old Norbert? She stood up, took her pointed hat from its hook behind the door, and glaring into the mirror, skewered it in place with a number of ferocious hatpins. They slid on one by one by one, as unstoppable as the wrath of God's. She vanished into the outhouse for a moment and came back with her witch's cloak, which serves as a blanket for sick goats when not otherwise employed. Once upon a time, it had been black velvet. Now, it was just black. It was carefully and slowly fastened by a tarnished silver brooch. No samurai, no questing knight was ever dressed with as much ceremony. Finally, Granny drew herself up, surveyed her dark reflection in the glass, gave a thin little smile of approval, and left via the back door. The air of menace was only slightly dispelled by the sound of her running up and down outside, trying to get the broomstick started.
Magrat was also regarding herself in the mirror. She dug out a startlingly green dress that was designed to be both revealing and clinging, and would have been if Magrat had anything to display or cling to, so she shoved a couple of rolled-up stockings down the front in an effort to make good the more obvious deficiencies. She'd also tried a spell on her hair, but it was naturally magic-resistant, and already the natural shape was beginning to assert itself. A dandelion clock at about 2pm. McGrath had also tried makeup. This wasn't an unqualified success. She didn't have much practice. She was beginning to wonder if she'd overdone the eyeshadow. Her neck, fingers and arms between them, carried enough silverware to make a full-size dinner service, and over everything she had thrown a black cloak lined with red silk. In a certain light, and from a carefully chosen angle, McGrath was not unattractive. Whether any of these preparations did anything for her is debatable, but they did mean that a thin veneer of confidence overlaid her trembling heart. She drew herself up and turned this way and that. The clusters of amulets, magical jewellery and occult bangles on various parts of her body jingled together. Any enemy wouldn't only have to be blind to fail to notice that a witch was approaching, but he'd have to be deaf as well. She turned to her work table and examined what she rather self-consciously, and never in Granny's hearing, called her tools of the craft. There was the white-handled knife used in the preparation of magical ingredients. There was the black-handled knife used in the magical workings themselves. McGrath had carved so many runes into its handle it was in constant danger of falling in half. They were undoubtedly powerful, but... McGrath shook her head regretfully, went over to the kitchen dresser and took out the bread knife. Something told her that at times like these a good sharp bread knife was probably the best friend a girl could have. I spy with my little eye, said Nanny Og, something beginning with P. The ghost of the king stared wearily around the dungeons. Pliers, he suggested. No. Pillywinks? That's a pretty name. What is it? It's a kind of thumbscrew. Look, said the king. It's not that, said Nanny. Choke pear? He said desperately. That's a C, and anyway, I don't know what it is, said Nanny Og. The king obligingly indicated it on the tray and explained its use. Definitely not, said Nanny. Smouldering boot of punishment, said the king. You're a bit too good at these names, said Nanny sharply. You sure you didn't use them when you were alive? Absolutely, Nanny, said the ghost. Boys that tell lies go to a bad place, warned Nanny. Lady Felmut had most of them installed herself. It's the truth, said the king desperately. He felt his position to be precarious enough without having any bad places to worry about. Nanny sniffed. Right then, she said, slightly mollified. It was pinchers. But Pinchers is just another name for pl 
the king began, and stopped himself in time. During his adult life, he'd been afraid of no man, beast or combination of the two, but Nanny's voice brought back old memories of schoolroom and nursery, of life under strict orders given by stern ladies in long skirts, and nursery food, mostly grey and brown, which seemed indigestible at the time, but now appeared a distant ambrosia. That's five to me, said Nanny happily. They'll be back soon, said the king. Are you sure you'll be all right? If I'm not, precisely how much help can you be, said Nanny. There was the sound of bolts sliding back. There was already a crowd outside the castle as Granny's broomstick wobbled uncertainly towards the ground. They went quiet as she strode forward and parted to let her pass. She had a basket of apples under her arm. There's a witch in the dungeons, someone whispered to Granny, and foul tortures, they say. Nonsense, said Granny. It couldn't be. I expect Nanny Og has just gone to advise the king, or something. They say Jason Og's gone to fetch his brothers, said a stallholder in awe. I really advise you all to return home, said Granny Weatherwax. There has probably been a misunderstanding. Everyone knows a witch cannot be held against her will. It's gone too far this time, said a peasant. All this burning and taxing and now this. I blame you witches. It's got to stop. I know my rights. What rights are they? said Granny. Dunnage, cowage and ordinary, badinage, leftovers, scrummage, clary and spunt, said the peasant promptly. An acornage every other year, and the right to keep two-thirds of a goat on the common, until he set fire to it, it was a bloody good goat, too. A man could go far knowing his rights like you do, said Granny. But right now, he should go home. She turned and looked at the gates. There were two extremely apprehensive guards on duty. She walked up to them and fixed one of them with a look. I am a harmless old seller of apples she said, in a voice more appropriate for the opening of hostilities in a middle-range war. Pray let me pass, dearie. The last word had knives in it. No one must enter the castle, said one of the guards. Orders of the Duke. Granny shrugged. The apple-seller gambit had never worked more than once in the entire history of witchcraft, as far as she knew, but it was traditional. I know you, Champit Poldy, she said. I recall I laid out your granddad, and I brought you into the world. She glanced at the crowd, who had regathered a little way off, and turned back to the guard, whose face was already a mask of terror. She leaned a little closer and said, I gave you your first good hiding in this valley of tears, and by all the gods, if you cross me now, I will give you your last. There was a soft, metallic noise as the spear fell out of the man's fearful fingers. Granny reached and gave the trembling man a reassuring pat on the shoulder. But don't worry about it, she added. Have an apple. She made to step forward, and a second spear barred her way. She looked up with interest. The other guard was not a ram-topper, but a city-bred mercenary 
brought up to swell the ranks, depleted in recent years. His face was a patchwork of scar tissue. Several of the scars rearranged themselves into what was possibly a sneer. So that's witch's magic, is it? said the guard. Pretty poor stuff. Maybe it frightens these country idiots, woman, but it doesn't frighten me. I imagine it takes a lot to frighten a big, strong lad like you, said Granny, reaching up to her hat. And don't you try putting the wind up me, neither. The guard stared straight ahead and rocked gently on the balls of his feet. Oh, ladies like you twisting people around, it shouldn't be stood for, like they say. Just as you like, said Granny, pushing the spear aside. Listen, I said... The guard began and grabbed Granny's shoulder. Her hand moved so quickly it hardly seemed to move at all, but suddenly he was clutching at his arm and moaning. Granny replaced the hat pin in her hat and ran for it. We will begin, said the Duchess, leering, with the sharing of the implements. See, Nam, said Nanny. Leastways, all the ones beginning with P, S, I, T, and W. Then let us see how long you can keep that light conversational tone. Light the brazier, Felmet, snapped the Duchess. Light the brazier, fool, said the Duke. The fool moved slowly. He hadn't expected any of this. Torturing people hadn't been on his mental agenda. Hurting old ladies in cold blood wasn't his cup of tea. And actually, hurting witches in blood of any temperature whatsoever failed to be an entire twelve-course banquet. Words, he'd said. All this probably came under the heading of sticks and stones. I don't like doing this, he murmured under his breath. Fine, said Naniog, whose hearing was superb. I'll remember you didn't like it. What that? said the Duke sharply. Nothing, said Nanny. Is this gonna take long? I haven't had breakfast. The fool lit a match. There was the faintest disturbance in the air beside him, and it went out. He swore and tried another. This time, his shaking hands managed to get as far as the brazier before it, too, flared and darkened. Hurry up, man, said the Duchess, laying out the tray of tools. Doesn't seem to want a light, muttered the fool, as another match became a fluttering streak of flame and then went out. The Duke snatched the box from his trembling fingers and caught him across the cheek with a handful of rings. Can no orders of mine be obeyed? He screamed. Infirm of purpose, weak, give me the box. The fool backed away. Someone he couldn't see was whispering things he couldn't quite make out in his ear. Go outside, hissed the Duke, and see we are not disturbed. The fool tripped over the bottom step, turned, and with a last imploring look at Nanny, scampered through the door. He capered a little bit, out of force of habit. The fire isn't completely necessary, said the Duchess. It merely 
persists. Now, woman, will you confess? What to? said Nanny. It's common knowledge, treason, malicious witchcraft, harboring the king's enemies, theft of the crown. A tinkling noise made them look down. A blood-stained dagger had fallen off the bench, as though someone had tried to pick it up, but just couldn't get the strength together. Nanny heard the king's ghost swear under its breath, or what would have been its breath. And spreading false rumours, finished the Duchess. Salt in my food, said the Duke nervously, staring at the bandages in his hand. He kept getting the feeling that there was a fourth person in the dungeon. If you do confess, said the Duchess, you will merely be burnt at the stake. And please, no humorous remarks. What false rumours? The Duke closed his eyes, but the visions were still there. Concerning the accidental death of the late King Varenth, he whispered hoarsely. The air swirled again. Nanny sat with her head cocked to one side as though listening to a voice only she could hear. Except that the Duke was certain that he could hear something too. Not exactly a voice, something like the distant sighing of the wind. Oh, I don't know nothing false, she said. I know you stabbed him, and you gave him the dagger. It was at the top of the stairs. She paused, head cocked, nodded, and added, Just by the suit of armour with the pike, and you said, If it's to be done, it's better if it's done quickly, or something, and then you snatched the king's own dagger, the very same what is now lying on the floor, out of his belt, and... You lie! There were no witnesses. We made... There was nothing to witness. I heard someone in the dark, but there was no one there. There couldn't have been anyone seeing anything, screamed the Duke. His wife scowled at him. Do shut up, Lionel, she said. I think within these four walls we can dispense with that sort of thing. Who told her? Did you tell her? And calm down. No one told her. She's a witch, for goodness sake. They found out about these things. Second glance or something. Sight, said Nanny. Witch, you will not possess much longer, my good woman, unless you tell us who else knows and indeed assist us on a number of other matters said the Duchess grimly. And you will do so, believe me, I am skilled in these things. Nanny glanced around the dungeon. It was beginning to get crowded. King Varence was bursting with such angry vitality that he was very nearly apparent and was furiously trying to get a grip on a knife. But there were others behind, wavering. Broken shapes, not exactly ghosts, but memories implanted in the very substance of the walls themselves by sheer pain and terror. My own dagger! The bastards! They killed me with my own dagger! said the ghost of King Varence silently, raising his transparent arms and imploring the netherworld in general to witness this ultimate humiliation. Give me strength! Yes, said Nanny. 
it's worth a try. And now we will commence, said the Duchess. What? said the guard. I said, said McGrath, I've come to sell my lovely apples. Don't you listen? There's not a sail on, is there? The guard was extremely nervous since his colleague had been taken off to the infirmary. He hadn't taken the job in order to deal with this sort of thing. It dawned on him. You're not a witch, are you? He said, fumbling awkwardly with his pike. Of course not. Do I look like one? The guard looked at her occult bangles, her lined cloak, her trembling hands and her face. The face was particularly worrying. McGrath had used a lot of powder to make her face pale and interesting. It combined with the lavishly applied mascara to give the guard the impression that he was looking at two flies that had crashed into a sugar bowl. He found his fingers wanted to make a sign to ward off the evil eyeshadow. Right, he said uncertainly. His mind was grinding through the problem. She was a witch. Just lately there'd been a lot of gossip about witches being bad for your health. He'd been told not to let witches pass, but no one had said anything about apple sellers. Apple sellers were not a problem. It was witches that were the problem. She'd said she was an apple seller, and he wasn't about to doubt a witch's word. Feeling happy with this application of logic, he stood to one side and gave an expansive wave. Pass, apple seller, he said. Thank you, said McGrath sweetly. Would you like an apple? No, thanks. I haven't finished the one the other witch gave me. His eyes rolled. Not a witch. Not a witch. An apple seller. An apple seller. She ought to know. How long ago was this? Just a few minutes. Granny Weatherwax was not lost. She wasn't the kind of person who ever became lost. It was just that, at the moment, while she knew exactly where she was, she didn't know the position of anywhere else. Currently, she had arrived in the kitchens again, precipitating a breakdown in the cook, who was trying to roast some celery. The fact that several people had tried to buy apples from her wasn't improving her temper. Magrat found her way to the Great Hall, empty and deserted at this time of day, except for a couple of guards who were playing dice. They wore the tabards of Felmut's own personal bodyguard and stopped their game as soon as she appeared. Well, well, said one leering. Come to keep us company, have you, my pretty? No one knows why men say things like this. Any minute now, he is probably going to say he likes a girl with spirit. I was looking for the dungeons, said McGrath, to whom the words sexual harassment were a mere collection of syllables. Just fancy, said one of the guards, winking at the other. I reckon we can help you there. They got up and stood either side of her. She was aware of two chins you could strike matches on and an overpowering smell of stale beer. Frantic signals from outlying portions of her mind began to break down her iron-hard conviction that bad things only happened to bad people. They escorted her down several flights of steps into a maze of dank, arched passageways as she sought hurriedly for some polite way of disengaging herself. I should warn you, she said, I am not, as I may appear, a simple apple seller. 
Fancy that. I am, in fact, a witch. This did not make the impression she had hoped. The guards exchanged glances. Fair enough, said one. I've always wondered what it was like to kiss a witch. Around here, they do say you get turned into a frog. The other guard nudged him. I reckon then, he said, in the slow, ripe tones of one who thinks that what he's about to say next is going to be incredibly funny. You kissed one years ago. The brief guffaw was suddenly interrupted when McGrath was flung against the wall and treated to a close-up view of the guard's nostrils. Now listen to me, sweetheart, he said. You ain't the first witch we've had down here, if which you be. But you could be lucky and walk out again if you're nice to us, do you see? There was a shrill, short scream from somewhere nearby. That, you see, said the guard, was a witch, having it the hard way. You could do us all a favour, see? Lucky you met us, really. His questing hand stopped its wandering. What's this? he said to McGrath's pale face. A knife? A knife? I reckon we gotta take that very seriously, don't you, Huron? You gotta tie her hands and gag her, said Huron hurriedly. They can't do no magic if they can't speak or wave their hands about. You can take your hands off her! All three stared down the passage at the fool. He was jingling with rage. Let her go this minute! he shouted, or I'll report you. Oh, you'll report us, will you? said Huron. And will anyone listen to you, you ear-waxed coloured little twerp? This is a witch we have here, said the other guard. So you can go and tinkle somewhere else. He turned back to McGrath. I like a girl with spirit, he said, incorrectly as it turned out. The fool advanced with the bravery of the terminally angry. I told you to let her go, he repeated. Haran drew his sword and winked at his companion. McGrath struck. It was an unplanned, instinctive blow, its stopping power considerably enhanced by the weight of rings and bangles. Her arm whirred around in an arc that connected with her captor's jaw and spun him twice before he folded in a heap with a quiet little sigh, and incidentally with several symbols of occult significance embossed on his cheek. Huron gaped at him and then looked at McGrath. He raised his sword at about the same moment that the fool cannoned into him, and the two men went down in a struggling heap. Like most small men, the fool relied on the initial mad rush to secure an advantage, and was at a loss for a follow-through, and it would probably have gone hard with him if Huron hadn't suddenly become aware that a bread-knife was pressed to his neck. Let go of him, said McGrath, pushing her hair out of her eyes. He stiffened. You're wondering whether I would really cut your throat, panted McGrath. I don't know either. Think of the fun we could have together, finding out. She reached down with the other hand and hauled the fool to his feet by his collar. Where did that scream come from? She said, without taking her eyes off the guard. It was down this way. They've got her in the torture dungeon, and I don't like it. It's going too far, and I couldn't get in, and I came to look for someone. Well, you found me, said McGrath. You? 
she said to Hron. We'll stay here, or run away for all I care, but you won't follow us. He nodded and stared after them as they hurried down the passage. The door's locked, said the fool. There's all sorts of noises, but the door's locked. Well, it's a dungeon, isn't it? They're not supposed to lock it from the inside. It was, indeed, unbudgeable. Silence came from the other side. A busy, thick silence that crawled through the cracks and spilled out into the passage. A kind of silence that is worse than screams. The fool hopped from one foot to the other as McGrath explored the door's rough surface. Are you really a witch? he said. They said you were a witch. Are you really? You don't look like a witch. You look very... That is... He blushed. Not like a, you know, crone at all, but absolutely beautiful. His voice trailed into silence. I am totally in control of the situation, McGrath told herself. I never thought I would be, but I am thinking absolutely clearly. And she realised in an absolutely clear way that her padding had slipped down to her waist. Her head felt as though a family of unhygienic birds had been nesting in it, and her eyeshadow had not so much run as sprinted. Her dress was torn in several places, her legs were scratched, her arms were bruised, and for some reason she felt on top of the world. I think you'd better stand back, Varence, she said. I'm not sure how this is going to work. There was a sharp intake of breath. <gasps> how do you know my name? Magrat sized up the door. The oak was old, centuries old, but she could sense just a little sap under a surface, varnished by the years into something that was nearly as tough as stone. Normally, what she had in mind would require a day's planning and a bag full of exotic ingredients, at least so she'd always believed. Now she was prepared to doubt it. If you could conjure demons out of wash tubs, you could do anything. She became aware that the fool had spoken. Oh, I expect I heard it somewhere, she said vaguely. I shouldn't think so, I never use it, said the fool. I mean, it's not a popular name with the duke. It was me ma'am, you see. They like to name you after kings, I suppose. My granddad said I had no business having the name like that, and he said I shouldn't go around... McGrath nodded. She was looking around the dank tunnel with a professional's eye. It wasn't a promising place. The old oak planks had been down here in the darkness all these years, away from the clock of the seasons. On the other hand... Granny had said that somehow all trees were one tree, or something like that. McGrath thought she understood it, although she didn't know exactly what it meant. And it was springtime up there. The ghost of life that still lived in the wood must know that. Or if it had forgotten, it must be told. She put her palms flat on the door again and shut her eyes tried to think her way out through the stone, out of the castle, and into the thin black soil of the mountains, into the air, into the sunlight. The fool was merely aware that McGrath was standing very still. Then her hair stood out from her head, gently, and there was a smell of leaf mould. And then, without warning, the hammer that can drive a marshmallow-soft toadstool through six inches of solid pavement, 
or an eel across a thousand miles of hostile ocean to a particular pond in an upland field, struck up through her and into the door. She stepped back carefully, her mind stunned, fighting against a desperate urge to bury her toes into the rock and put forth leaves. The fool caught her and the shock nearly knocked him over. McGrath sagged against the faintly jingling body and felt triumphant. She had done it, and with no artificial aids. If only the others could have seen this. Don't go near it, she mumbled. I think I gave it rather a lot. The fool was still holding her toast-racked body in his arms and was too overcome to utter a word, but she still got a reply. I reckon you did, said Granny Weatherwax, stepping out of the shadows. I never would have thought of it myself. McGrath peered at her. You've been here all the time? Just a few minutes. Granny glanced at the door. Good technique, she said. But it's old wood. Been in a fire too, I reckon. Lot of iron nails and stuff in there. Can't see it working. I'd have tried the stones if it was me, but... She was interrupted by a soft pop. There was another, and then a whole series of them together, like a shower of meringues. Behind her, very gently, the door was breaking into leaf. Granny stared at it for a few seconds and then met McGrath's terrified gaze. Run! she yelled. They grabbed the fool and scurried into the shelter of a convenient buttress. The door gave a warning creak. Several of its planks twisted in vegetable agony and there was a shower of rock splinters when nails were expelled like thorns from a wound, ricocheting off the stonework. The fool ducked as part of the lock whirred over his head and smashed into the opposite wall. The lower parts of the planks extended questing white roots which slithered along the damp stone to the nearest crack and began to auger in. Knotholes bulged, burst and thrust out branches which hit the stones of the doorway and tumbled them aside. And all the time there was a low groan, the sound of the cells of the wood trying to contain the surge of raw life pounding through them. If it had been me, said Granny Weatherwax, as part of the ceiling caved in further along the passage, I wouldn't have done it like that. Not that I'm objecting, mind you, she said as McGrath opened her mouth. It's a reasonable job. I think you might have overdone it a bit, that's all. Excuse me, said the fool. I can't do rocks, said McGrath. Well, no, rocks is an acquired taste. Excuse me. The two witches stared at him, and he backed away. Weren't you supposed to be rescuing someone, he said. Oh, said Granny. Yes, come on, McGrath. We'd better see what she's been getting up to. There were screams, said the fool, who couldn't help feeling that they weren't taking things seriously enough. I dare say, said Granny, pushing him aside and stepping over the writhing taproot. If anyone locked me in a dungeon, there'd be screams. There was a lot of dust inside the dungeon, and by the nimbus of light around its one torch, McGrath could dimly make out two figures cowering in the furthest corner. Most of the furniture had been overturned and scattered across the floor. It didn't look as though any of it had been designed to be in the last word of comfort. Nanny Og was sitting quite calmly in what appeared to be a sort of stocks.
took your time, she observed. Let me out of this, will you? I'm getting cramped. And there was the dagger. It spun gently in the middle of the room, glinting when the turning blade caught the light. My own dagger, said the ghost of the king, in a voice only the witches could hear. All this time and I never knew it. My own dagger. They bloody well did me in with my own bloody knife. He took another step towards the royal couple, waving the dagger. A faint gurgle escaped from the lips of the duke, glad to be out of there. He's doing well, isn't he? said Nanny, as Magrat helped her out of her prison. Isn't that the old king? Can they see him? Shouldn't think so. King Varenz staggered slightly under the weight. He was too old for such poltergeist activity. You had to be an adolescent for this. Let me just get a grip on this thing, he said. Oh, damn. The knife dropped from the ghost's tenuous grasp and clattered to the floor. Granny Weatherwax stepped forward smartly and put her foot on it. The dead shouldn't kill the living, she said. It could be a dangerous, what's name, president. We'd all be outnumbered for one thing. End of CD4